There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as cyberspace and as timeless as an RSS feed. It is the middle ground between radio and podcasting, between science and making shit up. This is the dimension of audio entertainment. It is an area we call Ray Guns and Go-Go Boots. Truly brilliant, sir. Well done. I like that a lot. You are too kind. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, was that anticlimactic. Hi, folks, and welcome to Ray Guns and Go-Go Boots. I'm Rick, and with me, as always, is Rich. How you doing, sir? I'm good, thank you. And our for our very first uh, real episode, as it were, as opposed to the introduction you heard last time, uh, we are going to be talking about season one of The Twilight Zone. We are going to be setting the bar very high, I think, with our, our first uh, entry out of space dock here. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good thing, though. Yeah, absolutely. You know, The Twilight Zone, I don't think there are going to be very many people out there listening to this right now who haven't at least heard of it. You know, it's it's kind of become a staple in, in and certainly in in American culture, what about uh, about uh, English culture? Everybody knows the theme tune. Yeah, which rather <laughs> although interesting. It's one yeah. they didn't use that theme tune. I was, that was what I was about to say. No, no t- recognizable Twilight Zone theme tune here at all. Well, until until when do they? Uh, until episode thirty three. Then all of a sudden we get a new intro. Oh, did it come in then? I didn't notice. Yeah. Right, it okay. went from the, the the long and actually my my little silly paraphrase there I cut out I cut out a sentence from it or a couple of sentences mainly because I couldn't think of anything that didn't suck to put in there <laughs> but uh, yeah it went from that you know paragraph to three sentences and uh, oh it was, it but, was good it's good to edit yourself like that yeah that's the problem I have in life um, yeah this is, it's people are aware of it here we know it's okay. a thing but I. Wouldn't be surprised if I could just walk into town, ask a hundred random people, have you seen the Twilight Zone? And they'd all say no. Well, I was quite amazed at how few episodes of the first season I'd actually seen before. Uh, uh, To to be uh, quite frank, I'd seen two of them. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, So it was all new, almost all new material for me, which was great because I was really enjoying it. It's, you know, for, okay, well, I guess maybe we should, we should summarize what the twilight zone is 1959 uh premiered on october 2nd uh uh, let me try that again the twilight zone premiered uh on october 2nd 1959 uh it was an anthology show now one thing i noticed uh at least in the in the the late 50s and the early 60s is there were kind of two types of science fiction tv Mm-hmm. There were the Buck Rogers and the Flash Gordons and the and the you know uh, uh, Sky Commando and, and you know crap like that, and that was all aimed at kids, and that was all about the hardware. That was all spaceships and ray guns and and you know Ming the Merciless and <laughs> and and you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then you had things like the Twilight Zone, and the Twilight Zone was more about ideas than it was about hardware. Uh, And in fact, a lot of these episodes, I wouldn't even classify as science fiction so much as either thrillers or, uh, or, you know, I don't even know what what genre to put them in. Yeah, that's an interesting idea that hadn't occurred to me. You're right that a lot of these are just sort of ideas. And over a sort of 20 minute, half an hour episode, that's perfectly fine. 
Yeah. I yeah. Like, kind of feel bad that there's no TV like this anymore because it might stop some awful films being made. You know? Well, they try, they've tried it. They've tried reviving uh, The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits. Uh, the Outer Limits was more of a, a more science fiction-y horror-based. Well, I'm sure we'll, we'll deal with it. It's, it's later on in the, in the 60s. Um, uh, things like uh, Tales from the Crypt and stuff like that. More, you know, anthology shows, they've tried it over, you know, back in the 80s and the 90s, and I, I, they just didn't work for some reason. I, I don't know why not. I mean, maybe it's, you just need to get the quality of the writing right, that sort of thing, but... That could be. I, I know with the with the Twilight Zone... <laughs> the Twilight Zone... The Twilight Zone remakes, uh, usually they were uh, kind of retreading or original episodes. Right. Which I think was probably a mistake. Yeah, that's not uh, going to make it catch on again. I, I just yeah. think you, you see a lot of films, it's specifically in the science fiction genre, because I think it's an easy one to do it, where you know someone's had a really cool idea, and that's all they've had. And that was enough to get somebody to greenlight a movie, but there was no thought of a story or plot or a, a journey for characters or nothing else beyond this cool idea and that you end that makes you end up with an awful awful film whereas over a half hour tv show it might actually work quite well yeah you know and so there were a lot of episodes that you'd like that's all right but it's a good job it didn't go on any longer oh yeah there were a lot of them where i was like oh please don't you know i i would just remind myself okay this is only going to be 20 minutes that's cool because <laughs> yeah. this went on if, yeah yeah it, it, well it's like when when you hear about a, a really cool short and then you see that they're trying to do a kickstarter for a feature-length film and you're like i don't see that spreading out to you know 90 minutes or 120 minutes or something um you know sometimes things you know the, the, i think you know what now that i think about it uh the, the age of the short story has kind of gone away too like in in books yeah uh there aren't too many short story books out there anymore you know when people like uh arthur c Clarke and isaac asimov and and uh richard matheson and and robert heinlein and you know all of those guys uh, harlan ellison they all started off writing short stories for magazines uh that would later get get put together into into books and and uh you know sometimes there were huge anthology books where there were several authors uh you, you don't see that anymore no i i don't i've never encountered a short story book in my adult life. Mm. Um, I know Stephen King's done several that I'll probably get to at some point. Uh, but other than that, yeah, never yeah, really. Yeah, but he probably writes sleeps. <laughs> yeah, um, he he does so much stuff, doesn't he? Um, but yeah, other than that, I you, you never hear of any. No one does anything like, like this anymore. It's all long form stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 it all has to be you know huge blockbuster stuff. You can't just have a a nice little story anymore. Mm. Um, I mean, maybe that's but, part of the problem with this stuff because none of it was visually spectacular. Not that it needed to true. be. It was they were all little stories, and I, I'm aware that this comes about because you want to make them cheaply. You want to, uh, you know, have as few characters as possible, as few locations as possible, just to keep costs down. But, yeah, I, I don't know if we're, if we're just too, I don't know, if we expect too much from stuff nowadays. And if that, something you know, subtle is just lost on us. 
kind of a, a strange connection here. I remember sitting in the in the cinema waiting for Pirates of the Caribbean two to start, and sitting, you know, kind of kind of almost tense, and and thinking to myself, this better not suck. And then, you know, part of uh, this this ideas kind of seeped through my brain of like, whatever happened to just being a, a a nice little movie, you know. You look at movies from the from the the fifties and the sixties, the Errol Flynn pirate movies and stuff. These weren't huge earth shattering epics. These were just fun films. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, what? if this movie entertains me, I'll be happy. You know, they don't have to threaten the entire universe with the with the stakes. That doesn't have to be this giant. You know, it, just a happy little story about, about Captain Jack Sparrow. And of course, now they didn't do that. I was going to say either way, you were leaving that film disappointed, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it it got me thinking of you know whatever happened to the nice little film. You know, and we've seen some of that in the past. You know, things like uh, you know whether you, whether you liked it or not, um, uh, District Nine uh, or Moon. Uh, you know, science fiction films that were essentially uh, a, a short story, yeah, made into a feature length film and done well. Uh, I, you know, I enjoyed District Nine. I know it had its flaws, but I, I thought it was a. a... I, I totally see your point about it, though. I, I, I do see what you're saying. They're just self-contained and nice, and just there's nothing wrong with them. They're just there, and they're they're fine. They're they're all yeah. right. Those. Yeah, uh, I, I think Moon is. A, you saw Moon, didn't you? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that was that was the perfect science fiction short story film. I thought that was, you know, it 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 said what it had to say. Yes, there was a little bit at the end where I suppose you could squeeze a sequel out, but there's no need for it. Um, you know, it was it was kind of like Mirror Mirror in Star Trek, where mm. it, it when it ended, you went okay. This doesn't bear a whole lot of scrutiny beyond this point, but I really enjoyed what I just watched. Yes. And I'm uh, with and you on this. Totally. The, the mirror episodes later on showed why you shouldn't <laughs> go too much further with that. Um, but that, and that was the great thing about the Twilight Zone. And, you know, maybe that's another reason why these, this sort of thing doesn't work so well anymore is we've gotten beyond, I don't know if beyond is the right word, but episodic television is kind of a thing of the past right now. And everything's got to be story arcs and everything's got to be continuing characters and stuff like that. Whereas with the Twilight Zone, the only real continuing character was Rod Serling as the narrator, um, which I don't know that that really counts. No, I don't. Uh, I don't think so. I blame 24 for this. Really? Yeah, I think 24 was the point when TV changed and people remembered, oh, we could do a whole story arc over the entire season. And that'll be easier to write because we'll know where it'll end. Um, yeah. And then it seemed like from that point on, everything became a whole season story arc. Even Enterprise did did season three to kind of mm-hmm. keep up with twenty four. Um, and you know, Star Trek was like one of the last holdouts of episodic television. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. DS Nine kind of. Yeah, they kind of played with it fast and loose there, didn't they? But yeah. You know, certainly season one and two of Enterprise kept it that way. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. mind the sort of mini two, three episode story arcs they did in season four. That that was okay. Yeah, those are fine. Yeah. And do you know what? I'd kind of come off the back of some of my early TV uh, science fiction experience with Doctor Who of the 80s, which uh-huh. did work in sort of four, five, six episode story arcs. It was, it was a very different show from how it is today. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And so I was kind of used to that. 
it, that was what you expected. Everything else was unusual. So I do, I do kind of miss it, you know. I do. I, do well, I remember miss it. when, when Doctor Who, uh, you know, rebooted, and I was rather surprised to see them doing, you know, uh, hour-long episodes or you know, forty-two-minute-long episodes uh, that weren't, you know, I, 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 I cut my teeth on, you know, my Doctor Who teeth on Tom Baker, which was, you know, any any story was four or five, twenty-minute-long vignettes or episodes or whatever mm. and yeah they just didn't do they just completely threw that out the window with the reboot and now um, they're trying to do individual episodes and story arcs which is an interesting way of trying to go about it but there you go yeah yeah doctor who's <laughs> a whole other episode of this show oh that it is yeah. and we'll we'll get there and we'll probably get there several times over yeah. the <laughs> i think so um a lot of these episodes i think you felt the same way they got a bit mm, samey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rod Serling certainly had. I mean, it. it I, I was keeping an eye on on who was writing these episodes, and we didn't get one that Rod Serling didn't write until episode nine. Right. Um, well, well. Okay. Episode eight was written by somebody else, but uh, but Rod Serling did the screenplay for it. Right. And then episode nine was the first one that was completely not written by him. And that's the, yeah, the a fatigued man fights to stay awake as he explains to a psychiatrist that if he falls asleep, it will trigger a nightmare, which will cause his heart to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Perchance to dream. That was, that was, you know, one thing that's very difficult to deal with, uh, when, when we're going back in time like this, and this is something that I've had trouble explaining to youngsters like you sir right. <laughs> uh when when folks would talk about how awful uh star trek tos was and how how cheesy and stuff like that and and how trite and it's like but we're going back to see where these cliches that we're so familiar with now came from yeah and so we have to you know it's like you can't fault shakespeare for using tired tropes like mistaken identity and and you know girls dressing up like boys and stuff like that because he started it yeah of course or well he didn't start it but you know it was, it, it, everything that we've seen doing it has stolen from him um even though he stole from others we don't know we haven't seen those yeah um so like when the twilight zone gets into an area that is like oh geez this storyline again we have to remind i have to remind myself this is where it came from and and that as a thing actually helped me recognize a lot of this stuff, to yeah. be honest. Because as, as I said, I'd never seen a single one of these uh, before. But the episode, I'm just looking for the right one. Time enough at last. Oh with, yeah, with Burgess, uh, Meredith. Burgess Meredith. I I knew how that was ending. I the Simpsons have done that twenty yeah. times. <laughs> you know that th these things are ingrained in popular culture, just like Shakespeare. Yes, I actually just compared the Twilight Zone to Shakespeare, I realize. <laughs> but it's the same sort of thing. It's that, for science fiction, it is kind of on that level. This is where stereo uh, tropes come from. It comes from this. The guy has got the time to read all the books he wants, and then his glasses break. Yeah. It's just not fair. <laughs> it's like the, the poor guy just couldn't catch a break. <laughs> yeah. He had a Except horrible life. surviving the, the nuclear blast, which... Uh, that was quite the, lucky. The, the absolute lack of fallout was quaint, I thought. But uh... well, there, there was so much about that. I mean, just the concept that if you are the last man on Earth, you've got time to read. But why then? 
<laughs> and surely finding food and companionship, but there are other things in the hierarchy of needs before reading all your books. But, you know, we, well, won't, we won't explore that. Well, I think they, they, they did a really good job. I mean, we might as well talk about this, this episode. It's, it's certainly one that more, it's one that I had seen at least some of, you know, before, before watching it. Um, I'd forgotten that it was a, a nuclear, holocaust or whatever you know that that did it and i'll tell you the scene where he was in the vault when the bomb hit that was really well done mm. you know, with the sound effects and the and, and the you know the the camera shaking it was really it creeped me out it, it really scared me um but I, uh yeah sorry to interrupt i i think no, stuff no. like that on shows like this a sort of event essential viewing for early filmmakers by which filmmakers early on in their career today. Oh, yeah. Here, this is where you learn about stuff that was done on a professional level with actually less equipment and experience than you can get your hands on as an amateur filmmaker today. Oh, yeah. You know, if you've got a camera and a Mac and Final Cut, you've got better stuff than they made the entire Twilight Zone with. So watch this stuff. Look out for effects and things that are, very effective and and have an impact on you because it was done with no money and no technology and it, it's sort of essential learning for the same reason shakespeare is to people trying to write my god it is the same thing yeah absolutely you know i i hadn't really thought about that because i'm not a filmmaker but you are so right i mean they black and white cinematography is something that i think modern audiences really ignore to their peril. Mm. Um, Cause you know, you, you, you just think about, Oh, well, you know, what can you do with black and white? And then you, you watch something and you see how important shades of gray can be and how important negative space and shadow can be and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, I, there, there was, you know, an, an army of people making the twilight zone and, with a few very notable exceptions, I think every aspect of the production was top notch. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. Um, like the one episode that I thought was really weird was um, let me see which one was it? It's was the one that that uh, was the guy that kept changing his face. Ah, yes. Uh, um, that was ah. Was that four one? of us are dying. Yeah. And it was just the the weird stylization with the neon signs and and you know it was like all of a sudden we're in we're in you know guys and dolls but without the music it just, it just felt strange you know maybe if you were watching it you know one week to the next uh, it wouldn't wouldn't have been so jarring but just watching all of these very very naturalistic episodes and then this one just being really really highly stylized and 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 uh, um, just odd. Uh, it, it, it graded, but uh... but I think that that episode is a good example of using your your limitations well. That you know, if they were doing a show today about a guy who could change the way his face looks, you are waiting for the inevitable. Let's show you his face change. Yeah, yeah, and it's gonna be some computer, some CGI thing. It might be good, it might be awful, and it, it will, a lot will hinge on that. But in 1960, when that episode came out. You can't, you, that's not a choice. You're not doing some weird yeah. morphing thing. You, that's not being conceived of. Um, you're not throwing it into Adobe After Effects when you're done. 
So <laughs> you've got to work with it. And they did. And there was no confusion. There was no, has he changed his face? Is that this? No, you knew exactly what was going on because they worked within the limitations that they had. And they, I, I honestly think putting limitations on yourself in a creative way really helps you uh, come up oh, with something absolutely. special. Absolutely. I, I, I found that out pretty quickly in school where, uh, you know, you take a creative writing class and, and the teacher says, write about anything. And you sit there staring at a blank screen for hours. Mm. But then he says, all right, now I want you to write about a tree that you saw once. And then you, you're cranking out page after page. It, it just uh, limitations do open up doors, I think. And it, it seems counterintuitive until you've done it. But absolutely uh, not being able to do anything and everything makes you figure out what you got. You know, my, half of my career has been trying to work miracles on stage without anything to do it with. <laughs> yeah. So something else that was really, really strange for me watching this, and I don't know how much of it, uh, again, you know, we have the, the, the cultural differences. A lot of the people in these episodes are people I know as much older actors in other things and seeing them as very young people. Uh, it, it's kind of freaky like for example in the in the four of us are dying one of the guys that the 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 guy changed into was played by a guy an actor named ross martin right who went on to play artemis gordon in the wild wild west right Uh, i see now i don't know if you've ever seen the the tv 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 series of the wild wild west i haven't Uh, it was it was one of my Okay, if if you saw the movie, uh, I, I I'm terribly sorry. Yeah, I but, know I know enough about it to totally discount the movie. Good, good. Uh, the Wild Wild West was about you know a, a Secret Service agent by the name of Jim James West uh, and his master of makeup and and misdirection, Artemis Gordon, and their adventures in the the Old West. But it was it was very much a science fiction series, um, and. Uh, you know, it was that was my my triumvirate in, as a kid were Jim Kirk, James West, and Steve Austin. You know, the the six million dollar man. Yeah. Um. You know, and so seeing Ross Martin as a, a very young man in something else was very, I don't want to say jarring, but it was it was it took some getting used to. Yeah. And a lot of these episodes have people in them that I know from other stuff that seeing them doing this was, it was kind of cool to see that, Oh, Hey, they, you know, they weren't just good at that one character that I know them as. Yeah. See, Um, I I had the same thing that there were a lot of people that I recognized. This has really increased my TV Tourette's that I have. (laughs) I've just, Oh, I know that person. I know that person. Who Mm -hmm. is that? That Last night, and you know, watching criminal minds is doing the same thing to me because it's this same sort of thing. It's episodic TV, but, there's different people in it every week uh and you're just like who's that i know her i know her and then you look it up and it's like oh yeah she was she was ralph macchio's girlfriend in karate kid 2 <laughs> i've recognized her from something that's actually 30 years old now there we go and twilight zone did it to me episode after episode it's, oh, yeah. oh it's that guy and who that guy you've seen him in this 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 and this I have no re- you're broken. Generally, <laughs> there's something wrong with you. I, I know. Yeah. Um, I, IMDB got quite a workout for me on. <laughs> oh yeah, IMDB. I, I I have a shortcut to Twilight Zone IMDB page on my phone <laughs> home screen now. Because it was just every episode. Who's that guy? Look it up. 
But yeah, there was Burgess Meredith, Ed Wynn, so mm-hmm. many people. Well, and and also I'm spotting a lot of the people that were uh, that that had bit parts and guest starring roles in uh, Star Trek: The Original Series. Mm. Uh, the the my favorite one, and the one that I was I was slapping my forehead for not recognizing her the most was in uh, in What You Need, the 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 old man that was giving people what they need. Yeah. At the beginning of the episode, he goes up to a woman in a booth in, in the diner, and he she he gives her a glove or not no a, a spot remover. Yes, I'll and then myself. she goes over to the guy who just got the great job and cleans clean, you know cleans his lapel, and they you know they go off to live happily ever after. That was Arlene Martell, yeah, who would later play to Pring Spock's wife in a mock time. Yep, she was a big one. Yep, um, just so many, so many. It's worth <laughs> looking through it just to see all the people and see who you recognize. Yeah, and and some really heavy hitters in film as well. Oh yeah. Was Burgess Meredith ever young? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> he was one of those guys that was born 30 years old. I, I think he was, and then he just aged, and I think he was 170 when he died. <laughs> Assume, he did die, didn't he? He's, yeah, he's yeah. gone. Because um, he, he, he looked old in this, and then just got older and older and older. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as you pointed out... Uh, as we were we were chatting over the, the time we were watching this, uh, Mister Serling had some some pretty significant uh, and 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 uh, distinctive fears. <laughs> I, I feel today. that's what it was. Yeah, there was a lot of this coming out because you, you're recurring themes. So you've got they most of them feature a man lost mm-hmm. or people lost. Anyone getting lost and ending up somewhere where they can't explain how they got there or where they are or something like that. There's so much of that. And then the other recurring theme seemed to be people not being believed about something. And sort of, so if you'd sort of got this person in a place where they were lost and no one believed them that they were supposed to not be there, then that's kind of like your ultimate Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Because they were all kind of like that. Um, yeah, I know, you know, if I, if I own a gas station, even if it's out in the middle of nowhere, and a young woman starts banging on my window at 1130 at night. I, you know, I'm going to help her. I'm not going to say fuck off. I'll yes, it wasn't the- that horrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, fuck you, I'm asleep. Yeah, but I might die if I, nah, I don't care. <laughs> I, dude, that, is, that was harsh. That was harsh. <laughs> um, I, I wrote down as, as uh, uh, loneliness sucks. Yep. Uh, you know, he seems to think that loneliness was, was one of the worst things that could happen to a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the first episode is, uh, is, uh, you know, all about a guy waking up in a town where nobody's there. And, you know, I don't know what studio it was, but they certainly got their money's worth out of renting some time on back lots. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know if ever, if there was ever any sets actually built for the twilight zone. It, there were, uh, yeah. There were a lot of elements of we've arrived on this new planet that happens to look a lot like the desert just outside LA. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it it's kind of like you know I I totally forgave it immediately because it's no different to Star Trek. It's kind of Oh yeah. Here let's go and land on this planet that looks suspiciously like the film that's being shot next door. <laughs> you know, what are they doing this week? A film about Romans, we're going to land on a Roman planet this week. There you go. <laughs> um, you know, so I automatically just forgive them that. It it's what they did. It's how it worked, isn't it? It's it is what it is. 
Mm-hmm. You know, um, they can't really be blamed a bit with it. Again, doing what you can with the limitations you've got. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I there was no time where, aside from just at the beginning, where it's like, okay, we're panning down yet another, you know, featureless brownstone street with, with uh, you know, uh, you know, steps and and you know, we're we're in a city block again. Mysterious men show up rather frequently and mm-hmm. and fuck with people, uh, whether they're the devil or a salesperson or what do you need or uh, you know whatever. Um, I, although I did like the the use of them in uh, uh, Mister Denton on Doomsday, where we find out where uh, the Blazing Saddles monologue came from. The uh, the the uh, Waco kid. You've seen Blazing Saddles, yeah? Oh, many times. Yeah, you know, when he's talking about the, you know, every every punk in town trying to take him on, and then, you know, it was a, a 16-year-old kid, you know, that monologue was almost word for word out of Mr. Denton on Doomsday. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't pick uh, up on that, but yeah, of course it was. <laughs> uh, and also in the, the, the bartender in that episode uh, was, uh, I forget the, I didn't write down the actor's name, but he played Ed Appel the head miner in devil in the dark and TOS, the the one with the Horda, the pizza monster. All right. Yeah. Um, also apparently according to the twilight zone, steering a spaceship is something that is just impossible to do because they were always crashing and not knowing where they were. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it was amazing. Wasn't it? No, they never knew where they'd landed, even if it was right outside the nearest holiday resort or <laughs> yeah. whatever. Do you know what I did like that episode? Which was that we shot an arrow. I shot an arrow. That was we shot an arrow in the area. I I did like that one. The whole we we could be here. We're lost on this alien planet. Whatever. Oh no, we actually went about ten feet, just outside, (laughs) and you've killed everyone. This is going to be difficult to explain. You know, I thought we were on another planet. Yeah, right, mate. Yeah. That one I kind of ruined for myself because as they were walking around, like an asteroid that's got the same gravity as Earth and the same, you know, that's not really. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. They're, they're still on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> it's either Earth or they're in an episode of Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. But, but did you, I kind of felt like with a lot of these, you kind of know how they're going to end. Yeah, and and I think that's just a result of these these scripts having been retread so many times over over our lifetimes that it's kind of hard to surprise us with them. But I think in 1959, a lot of these took people by surprise. Yeah, you know, like the one with the with the the, the woman uh, and the and the, hitch, the hitchhiker that we were just kind of talking about. The first episode that was the first episode I found to be boring. I think it it, but you know, it was like we've seen this before. So we know that she's either, she either killed the hitchhiker or she's dead herself. And, uh, and so it was just like, we well, get on with it. Um, yeah. But, I, uh, I, I often thought there were, there were a lot of them where you thought if you'd seen enough TV, mate, you wouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> and the one right after it with the, with the old couple in, in Vegas, um, that one I thought was kind of stupid with the, 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 uh, oh, the, the guy slot who, machine coming yeah. after the guy. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it feels like that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, well, you know, what's funny. Well, you've been to Vegas. Uh, 
much more recently than I have, it hasn't changed at all. You still have these, you know, the I, I call them the the slot machine zombies, where they're just, you know, now instead of putting in quarters, they've got freaking cards that they just plug into it, and they just sit there for hours and hours playing on those things, mm-hmm. just hanging uh, over the edge of the stool mm-hmm. on yeah. every side. Yeah, you you you'd spot that. Um, you you could sort of spot the locals. Uh, in the casinos because they were the ones that looked like the stool they were sat on was literally part of them. Yeah. Um, And like they might need help to get up and walk away from that stool Uh, because, you know, you kind of get the feeling that uh, first of all, holiday makers don't have the time or the energy or the inclination to sit at a stool gambling all day because there's too much other stuff to do. So if you're there for a finite amount of time, you aren't getting fat sitting gambling. And also if you live there, you aren't going to the casinos. You know, they're not, you know, Bellagio's is not for Las Vegas locals. And no, so it, no, they know better. <laughs> yeah, they know, exactly. And so you sort of realize that the people who look like they really have a problem probably really have a problem, you know, and they know the bar staff by name and that yeah. sort of thing. It's like, this is your job, isn't it? Just sitting there all day and hitting go on that thing. <laughs> Hmm. And they know who's winning. They're watching mm-hmm. it all. Oh yeah. Um yeah, that was the fever that one, wasn't it? Yep. Yep. That was probably one of the least science fiction ones. Um you know, and and that was I you know, and I would imagine even in 1959 people knew, okay, the guy who's yelling at his wife for going to Vegas is the one that's going to get sucked in. Exactly. Exactly. What a miserable bastard though. <laughs> was, oh yeah. He's like, "Why <laughs> well, that come? Were there any happy marriages in this show? Not that I can think of. I nearly yeah. thought of the last one, but it's like, no, that was that was definitely not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, no, I don't, I don't think there were. The wi- the wives were all either shrews or complete doormats. Um, it was was and, that the fifties though? Well, that's you know that's what I was wondering because I was I was noticing things like you know the guys were wearing their ties even at home. Yeah, and is that is that a TV thing or is that the way things were back then? I you feel know, I get home. I'm lucky to keep my pants on by the time I get to the bedroom. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I see d- them sitting. There. I, I don't know if that was the thing people did or or I, I feel like it was the thing people did, but I'm aware that I'm only basing that on watching television. So yeah, because I, I, I know wrong. that, you know, nobody slept, you know, well, not nobody, but, you know, how many people actually had separate beds in their bedrooms? I doubt it, but. You know, that was a convention of TV back then, so. Really? I thought that was the thing. Nah. <laughs> There's too many kids from that era. <laughs> of course. Of course. You're here. I'm here. We're all here. <laughs> yeah. You know, of course. Yeah. Um, I think I first saw that on A Christmas Story. Mum and Dad had a separate single bed. Hmm. Um, and I always wondered, what was that for? What what's that in aid of? My parents didn't have two separate beds. That would be grounds for divorce. Yeah, I think. Yeah, or something like that. It's not good. Yeah, no. It just in 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 the fifties and the sixties and and uh, I think almost into the seventies, at least in the U.S., it was not permitted to show uh, even a married couple having a single bed. Not permitted to show that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I- I think, yeah, I th- I think it was it was actually uh, well, I, you know, it's 
sometimes things like that have just been around so long we just assume um that it was you know illegal or or uh now that i think about it i don't know if it was if it was not permitted or simply well there were there were network sensors right yeah and so it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a legislative thing so much as the networks who paid for the tv shows to be made said you know thou shalt not um you know the famous star trek no open mouth kisses kind of thing yeah um so see and i don't think it was that long until we had markman wise uh who would regularly do comedy sketches where they'd both be in a double bed together <laughs> and we still struggle to reconcile that now like what was that about cuz there there was nothing sexual about it nothing at all it was it was always the least sexual thing you've ever seen they weren't secretly gay or anything like that there was n- just nothing there it was there was less sexual uh, implication of it than when you're watching Bert and Ernie on Sesame Street <laughs> and yet there they were they'd share the bed and do their comedy sketch and we never thought twice about it never occurred to us well you all have always been far less <clears throat> uptight shit than we are over here too I think you know I think that's a, a misconception I think we're uptight about different stuff yeah and I, I think we, we absolutely have our uptight things, but, you know, that's not one of them because it's just always been that way. Hmm. You know, and various other traditions. I, I know we're much less, we're, I think as a nation, we're known for being pretty okay with the concept of cross-dressing. Well, yeah. <laughs> because we have pantomime and we have all kinds of things like that. It's been a tradition for literally hundreds of years. Yeah, and as you said, well, it, was, earlier, it was a law for hundreds of years. Yeah, and as you said, going back to Shakespeare, when men had to play women, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So we've just never—it's never been an issue. Weird, but yeah, in, yeah. in that sense, that I suppose that's a good thing. But you know, not claiming that we're perfect as far as LGBTQ rights go and that <laughs> well. sort of thing. But you know, that's just never been a thing that's bothered us all that much. Um, I suppose, yeah, that's a good thing in and of itself, yeah. I suppose. But yeah, we're just uptight about different things. Don't worry, we're British, we're very uptight. <laughs> we invented uptight, you know, you guys just running with it. We we invented it in the first place. Now, watching this series kind of, I, I had said back when we did uh, uh, the uh, the Day the Earth Stood Still uh, on, on the Starbase, uh, I talked about how... Uh, Michael Rainey, who played Klaatu, uh, was described by Robert Wise, the director, as this nice young man in his 30s. And if you look at Rainey in, <laughs> in Day of the Earth Still, 30s? No. Um, you know, he looks like, you know, someone in their 50s. And I, w- I, I kind of took away from that that we are younger at our ages now than our parents were at their age or their grandparents were. Um, but watching this show... I, I think, and I could be wrong about this. I didn't look up anybody, you know, any of the actors' ages or anything. But it looks to me like it was they were just casting older, like people that were supposed to be in their twenties were being played by people in their thirties, and people that were supposed to be in their thirties were being played by people in their fifties. I I noticed this as well. Um, there were a number of occasions where the age of the person would be my age, thirty five, thirty six. 
And yeah. I'd look at him and think, yeah, you're, you look like my dad. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't look like a, someone like me at all. Uh, and that was pretty much a common thing. I put it down to people just looking older than they were. But I think you're right. They just casted older. I, I don't know what brings that about. Now I'm thinking about it, I don't, I don't, I can't, I'm having trouble placing many sort of young male actors of the time, and sort of your big heavy hitters were much older men. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, that's kind of been a tradition, like, you know, to talk about, you know, shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where, where they're supposed to be high school kids, but they're all just very young looking 20 yeah. and 30 somethings. Um, what was, what? I think the only one that really, seemed as young as she was supposed to be was the daughter in third rock from the, the third from the sun. Yeah. Um, is that third, third from the sun or was it third rock? No, it wasn't third rock. It was just third from the sun. Third from the sun. Yeah. Um, Oh, and that's when I noticed that the, uh, some of the sound effects, uh, when they got on the spaceship were, were reused in star Trek. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. And that was a Richard Matheson episode. He was the only the only writer I really noticed as someone I recognized. He wrote several episodes in this season. Mm. Uh, Richard Matheson, who wrote um, the Enemy Within episode of Star Trek, uh, the one where Kirk gets split and gets split into good and evil. And uh, folks, if if you are unfamiliar with Rich or me, um, we'll talk about Star Trek a lot. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> so, going to come up a lot. It's just going to happen. So absolutely. Uh, Cope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's what we do. It's what we do. If that if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't be here now. So you're gonna yeah. have to live with it. Um, what what is but, the, uh, the, the, the sorry to inter- I'm keep doing it. Um, in in the US, what is the sort of attitude towards uh, age differences in couples dating? It uh, it it. Hmm. It I mean, depends. I mean, imagine let's let's fast forward sort of twenty years, mm-hmm. and and Sharon's in her sort of early to mid twenties, and she brings home a new boyfriend to meet you. What kind of age would be the upper limit before you start going? Yeah, this isn't happening. Uh see, that's a real tricky question for me because that that uh, when I was seventeen, I was dating a thirty-four year old. Nice work, sir. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) What'd you say? I said, nice work, sir. I I thought so, and so did she. Yeah. (laughs) Because she was like, hey, I'm dating a Um, 17-year-old, cha-ching. And we're still best friends. You know, it was was really great. But, you know, nowadays people are going to jail for shit like that. Yeah. Um, So, but I'll admit, even given that that's my past, uh, swap the genders and I get real twitchy about it real fast. Um, all how, that being said, once, once the participants are both over the age of 20, um, then as far as I'm con- well, as far as I'm concerned, then it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, as long as, as long as nobody's taking advantage of, of somebody else, um, yeah. it, it's, it's one of those things where the hypocrisy runs hot and cold over here. Right. Um, uh, you know, if an older woman is dating a younger guy. You know, she's a cougar and she's doing great. Uh, if an older guy is dating a younger woman, then she's a gold digger and, you know, or he's a predator. Uh, I think 
it, it's hmm, it's hard to say. I, uh, I, I know, just for- wondered about it in the context of the show because you you get a lot of as we as we said there's a lot of people that look a lot older than they were led to believe they were and you see a lot of age difference in the the 50s relationships yeah that there, there seemed you were always shown sort of a young pretty wife with a much older more resp- uh, more mature man and it's it's there were very few instances where people seemed matched in the way that they would be today and I, I just wondered yeah. if there was inherently just a sort of a, a different attitude. Well, remember when we watched uh, Network for movies you should see, and the uh, the the young female executive had the hots for the for the older guy. Yeah, and you know he kept describing himself as middle aged, and we're like, "Oh, are you going to live to one hundred and twenty? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, I'd forgotten uh, all about that. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I just wondered. I, I, I think that there was there was more of a, a you know that that attitude of older men wanting younger wives and younger wives wanting older, more stable men might have been more prevalent back then. Uh, I think nowadays over here, people prefer to see a little more uh, age equity. Um, although you know, my wife is thirteen years younger than me, and nobody's ever said anything about it. So, I think beyond a certain point, nobody really cares. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, one of the other big things, I think, and and this goes through, this is one of the things the Twilight Zone is famous for, is, you know, be careful what you wish for. Because, you you know, you just might get it. That, and, uh, that That's the first thing that comes to mind when I talk about people who haven't seen enough TV uh, be, yeah. being on TV. When you're offered immortality and you're like, well, hang on a minute, there's a catch. <laughs> I know there's a catch. Don't be ridiculous. But you don't know that because it's 1959 and you're in the first <laughs> version of that. If only you'd seen some TV. You know, there, there's so many things. Uh, the 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 one with the, the I've forgotten the title already. The the guy who gives people what they need. Uh, what you need. What you need. Um, yeah, that was a sort of, sh- that can only work once. Don't keep pushing that. Because he's gonna end up killed somehow in uh-huh. some weird Twilight Zoney way. What you need are slippery shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody needs that. Well, he did. That was that was yeah. your twist, wasn't it? It wasn't <laughs> what you needed, sir. It was what I needed. So you die. Ah, dark. <laughs> really dark. Some of them were quite disturbing in that way. Oh yeah, they oh, were yeah. all nightmarish. In in the sense that this is literally the kind of thing you would have nightmares about. The weird nightmares, like you can't run away quick enough, or you, you're the only one there. That that sort of thing. You sort of classic non-personal nightmare. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember as a kid, um, I hadn't seen a whole lot of Twilight Zone episodes on TV, but uh, the, there were Twilight Zone comic books, and I'd read a few. And, you know, I always worried about just falling through some random dimensional rift in a wall and, you know, finding myself in some alternate universe and, you know, or coming home from school and nobody knows who I am and, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, which was, you know, kind of the bread and butter of the Twilight Zone. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they didn't they didn't pull any punches on a lot of these things like, you know, the, the execution where the the. The, the killer from from the uh, the Wild West gets pulled for, but 
<laughs> pulled forward into 1959 by the professor from Gilligan's Island, who, again, I know you guys haven't seen that show. No, I've never seen it. I'm going to have to yeah, find I- some just to watch it. <laughs> I don't know whether you really should or not, because it's one of those shows that if you grew up watching it, you didn't really question the premise of it until you were much older and it was already established as sort of this nostalgic thing that you, you grew up watching uh, because it's really, really, really stupid. And, you know, it, I mean, the basic premise is you've got seven people on a boat and a little, you know, that go out for a, a little tour around the, 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 the South Pacific, but they get caught up in a storm and then deposited on, on this island that nobody knows where they are. And then, you know, it's their misadventures of living in bamboo huts and making bicycles out of coconuts and shit like that. Um, but it, it was, you know, 1960s sitcom silliness and stuff. And, you know, the, the, the rich people on board have enough luggage for, you know, being out for months, even though they were only going out for three hours. So they shouldn't have any luggage whatsoever and stuff like that. And it's a, uh, I I don't know if that's one that would make the <laughs> make the trip across the Atlantic too well. Well, it never has made the trip. Um, that's the thing. There are very. It, it is just one of the few shows that we all know about it. We've all heard about it, but never once has it been shown on British television. I I, I don't know of anyone that's ever seen it. I, I don't know that it's ever been on. It's certainly never been played in my lifetime, ever. Yeah. Um, and it, it's for a show that is as big in America as that seems to be. It's very odd that it's never had any airplay here whatsoever. It is kind of strange, you know. When when I first realized, uh, you know, back back many years ago during the forum days that you know I'd mentioned Gilligan's Island and would get just a bunch of from 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 the uh, the, the English folks that. It's one of those shows that's such a staple of of early American television culture that uh, the the concept of people not knowing what it is, uh, you know, the fact that 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 joke didn't work for y'all in Galaxy Quest just kills me. <laughs> which which joke? Uh, when when uh, Sigourney Weaver says, "Surely you don't think Gilligan's Island was a was a a, a historical document?" and Mathisar goes, "Those poor people." Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the funniest lines in the movie, but I'm sure it was crickets when it played over over in England. Yeah, nothing there. But I don't know. <laughs> I, I know enough to know that it was about people who get stranded on an island. And one, okay. of, one of them is called Gilligan, who I assume yeah. is the main character in the show. Yep. Uh, but but that's all that's all it is. It's just uh, deductive reasoning and that sort of thing. Like, you, you've got to be pretty dumb to not know that a show called Gilligan's Island is about a guy called <laughs> Gilligan on an island. Really? Of course it yep. is. Um, the Twilight Zone is about some sort of zone that's twilight. <laughs> it's it's all there. It's right there. Uh, it's just the way TV goes. So did you have any more, uh, like, general observations about the show, or shall we move on to some specific episodes? I'm ready to move on to some specific episodes. Okay. I think we, we've covered all the general stuff. The, the thing that stuck out to me the most was sort of the recurring nightmares that Rod Sterling obviously has in his life. Yeah. Um, being lost, being back in his hometown as a child, yeah. that sort of thing. And, and the, the, the obvious fear of death comes through rather rather strongly too and, and the fear of of aging um although he, he wasn't really all that old when when 
the show was on. You know, it's funny. Rod Serling himself, uh, I knew him, well, his voice, uh, before I knew him as the voice of the Twilight Zone. Um, you all know who Jacques Cousteau is, yeah? Yeah. Or was, I should say. You know, the, the Oceanic Explorer. He had a show called The Undersea World of Jacques Cousteau, uh, which I loved as a kid. I loved it. It was just, you know, an hour of of underwater footage and and you know as a as well <laughs> i say i'm now a scuba diver i haven't been down in ages but uh you know just scuba diving is the most amazing thing ever uh you know it's the closest thing to being an astronaut you can you can get and still be on earth and just being underwater and breathing and you know looking a sea turtle in the eyes and stuff it's amazing stuff um but rod serling was the narrator for a lot of the undersea world of jacques Cousteau, so i knew him as the voice of that show Right. Long before I'd heard of the Twilight Zone. He, he died oh. very young, actually, according to this. He was only 50. Wow. That, that's, that's astoundingly young. Yeah. But, but then there also isn't a picture of him without a cigarette. You know, there was a lot of smoking in that show. <laughs> yeah, there uh, was. I mean, he, he's kind of in every episode, or most of them at the end, isn't he? And mm-hmm. he's always there with a cigarette. Yeah. And that uh, that has definitely fallen by the wayside of stuff. You just could not do that now. You you can't do that. Um, especially if because he, he wasn't a character in it. He was himself. And mm-hmm. to show him smoking, that's even worse than having a character do it. Um, and I, you know, even we're now at the point where people are arguing you just shouldn't show smoking at all in films. Um. Which I not a, a, a theory I agree with at all, but that's that's some people's attitude. Yeah, no, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. It just you know, hiding something doesn't make it go away. It, exactly, yeah. and especially in I mean, this is an art form, and art is reflective of real life and the human experience. And in this world, people smoke, and so you are going to inevitably have characters who smoke. I mean, mm-hmm. should we not show anything bad in films? on the off chance that it might get people to do them because that's that's going to really talk about putting limitations on yourself (laughs) you know that prevents your ability that they just machine gun down 50 people that dude's smoking get that out of yeah i i think actually once you've machine gunned 50 people you're allowed a cigarette (laughs) yeah you almost need one i would imagine that's definitely one of the times (laughs) definitely the first episode where is everybody uh was interesting i mean it it was almost the stereotypical twilight zone episode where a guy just sort of wakes up and realizes he's in a town that's completely empty and uh and he's going slowly insane because this town is completely empty and you're trying to figure out why what's going on and i i'll admit i had i didn't guess it i i i thought maybe it was a uh you know, he'd been captured by aliens or something, and you know, and then it turns out it's an isolation experiment for the for the space program. But uh, it it also was one of the one of the tropes in the first season was that space flight is not only dangerous from a hardware point of view, but it can drive people crazy. Um, it very much reflected an idea of how much they didn't know about what would happen to people when they left the earth oh absolutely you are instantly aware that this is coming from a a world that has not been to the moon yet yeah or or in fact really traveled in space at all might have my history wrong 
Okay. <laughs> Let me find out. When did Freedom 7 go up? Where's my mouse? If, if it was before then, it won't have been long before then. Let's see. Gemini. Freedom. I should know this. I was just there looking at the places where they launched these things from a few months ago. Uh, 61. So no, we hadn't, we hadn't even put a man in space yet. So, the, I mean, yeah, as far as the world was concerned, you leave the Earth and you'll just explode or something. You yeah. know, we, we had no idea. And I, w- I would imagine even after the moon landing, it takes a long time for the, the way in which that happened to be something that the general population learns about and understands. Well, you know, I, uh, Yuri Gagarin, who was the first human in space, and let me find out when he went up. Um, this is stuff I should know. I, I should know these dates offhand, but I, I'm... Yuri Gagarin uh, went into space. No, 61. So, okay. So, at this point, no man had, had left the Earth. Um, you know what I found out when I went to the Kennedy Space Center for this this tour I went on last time I was there, is that the uh, the Vostok 1, Gagarin ship, was not equipped for re-entry. Huh. Uh, or for a soft landing. So at about 20 miles up, he had to bail out and parachute down. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's fucked up. <laughs> just get out before it hits the floor. You'll be right. Yeah. What? It's, it's just a step above telling him to bend his knees as it hits the ground, isn't it? Yeah. Try to jump just yeah. as you hit the ground. <laughs> and you'll be fine. That's how physics works. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's very clear that it's coming from a world where that has not happened yet. It's easy yeah. for us to take that for granted, that, of course, we've been to space. Of course, we've been to the moon. Space travel is, oh, I hate saying this, reasonably common and pedestrian. I mean, we're at a point now where just rich people are having a go at it. And that sort of well, thing. I don't know. I, I You know, there have been a couple of, couple of events that have happened in the last week. Um, last two weeks where an Ares rocket exploded about a hundred feet above the, the launch pad. Did you, did you hear about that? I did hear about that. I was trying to do a live show when it happened. And oh. then the, there are certain things you can compete with for people's attention, but a rocket exploding is not one of them. I yeah. Found. Fortunately that one was unmanned. So it was just a, it was just a loss of hardware. It was a supply mission to the ISS, the uh, international space station. Uh, but then yesterday, was it yesterday? Yesterday, the day before, it doesn't really matter. Uh, within the last couple of days, uh, the Virgin Galactic spaceship two exploded during a test flight, killed one of its pilots, and seriously injured the other one. Yeah. So, as routine as we like to think space flight is, oh, it yeah. isn't. Yeah. No, I, I I totally understand. I mean, it's one of the things mentioned in the movie Apollo thirteen. People aren't interested in going to the moon anymore. Like this is anything but easy and straightforward, and and nice to do but you just lose track of that yeah oh yeah well i had i had uh that lesson when uh very very harshly driven into me you know being from south florida uh the shuttle program was always very very important to me uh, and you know to most of us down there um and when the challenger was launching back in 86 uh I'd kind of stopped paying attention to the launches. I was late for school, uh, you know, was on in the radio, you know, the radio was on in the background, but I was running around trying to get ready to get to, to school. I was in, 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 uh, in college at the time. 
And then just, I just happened to run, by, walk by the radio when I heard them say something about losing communications with the challenger. And that's when I stopped and turned on the TV and, you know, and saw the horror at that point. But I wasn't, you know, I was like, oh, it's a shuttle launch. Big deal. That's routine now. And uh, we all learned that there's no such thing as a routine space launch. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are your standout episodes then? Uh, well, I, you know, I wanted to mention where is everybody, uh, because I think that that really set the stage for what was coming. Um, you know, I already mentioned, uh, Denton on doomsday. Uh, I, I liked the lonely, which was the, the guy on the asteroid prison, uh, you know, yes. and, uh, how, oh, oh, so, the, oh, wait, what was his name? He was the person, um, he was, uh, Jack Warden. Yeah. Who, if you don't recognize his name, people, go and look him up because you've seen him in a thousand things. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that guy on these, you know, in these episodes. Uh, um, yes, he was, of course, in 12 the, Angry Men. I, mm-hmm. I, I do wonder, out of the 12 Angry Men, how many of them were actually in season one of The Twilight Zone? Because <laughs> I'm just looking now and I can see at least two just off the top of my head. Because Jack Klugman was in an episode, wasn't he? Yeah, and he and he was he was in two huge series over here, um, uh, the the Odd Couple. Yep. Which, if you may be familiar with the stage play, but it was a very long running TV series over here, uh, and he played Oscar Madison, the the slob part, the slob guy, and then Quincy, which is uh, was a show about the uh, medical examiner, was one of the first procedurals. Uh, and he was he he played the title character. Oh, so we know he, Quincy. He a, we know Quincy. You do? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we uh, we. Get I love it. that show. Yeah, we get all those ones. Because uh, cool. they fit into sort of the not quite the, the sort of after lunch, early afternoon kind of here's forty five minutes, just go away kind of daytime thing. <laughs> um, so they, it's the time slot that you would put in Quincy and Diagnosis Murder and Murder, She Wrote, and uh, Ironside, and... Oh, yeah. <laughs> that that sort of show. I realize I kind of skipped over many decades there with different shows, but that that's where they go. So, yeah, I've seen lots of Quincy. Okay. In fact, m- most people over here will recognize Jack Klugman as Quincy. Okay, cool. That That's, you know, I think that's his... That was the the best stuff he had done, so I'm, I'm, that doesn't bother me at all that that's what he's famous for. I really enjoyed that show, and uh, um, the, the the one well one other thing uh, you know the the uh, the young guy on the crew that was always given uh, our our hero shit and calling him you know being such an asshole to him. Um, he was uncredited, but his uh, his name is Ted Knight. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever seen the Mary Tyler Moore show uh, over there. I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't make it over there. No, it did, and I haven't seen it, but it definitely okay. was on. Uh, he played Ted Baxter. The the uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show took place in a newsroom. Yeah, and uh, you know it was you know she was a, a an executive you know a producer in the newsroom, which was unusual because she was a woman and stuff. And their 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 anchor man, Ted Knight or Ted Baxter played by Ted Knight was, you know, this blowhard idiot, uh, kind of guy. Oh, he was also, you've seen Caddyshack, right? Yeah. 
okay, he was the judge in Caddyshack. Right. Um, but he was he was in that episode, The Lonely. Um, and that one just kind of stood out for its its absolute misogyny and sexism. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, J- just a bit because uh, you know when when uh, you know at the end when when the, the 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 pilot shoots the robot the robot as they say as Jason is fond of saying too. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and you know the I forget his name now the the, the, the convict. Rather than, you know, you shot my wife. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess she's a machine anyway. And, and you know, he was like, gee, you know, that really sucks. We better go now. Uh, <laughs> well, that was just crazy. It's like, leave the fucking robot, dude. Just just <laughs> leave the robot. What What's your problem? Yeah. It, it was a bit like when, when Tom Hanks loses the volleyball in Castaway. You know, it's like, I know it meant a lot to you, but it, it's just a volleyball, dude. Let it, let it go. Yeah. It's not worth drowning over. But that's the tricky thing with realistic female robots. That's why they're yeah. a bad idea, probably. <laughs> I'd, I'd be willing to test one out. Yeah, I'm going to say I still have one, but, you know, <laughs> I'm not stranded on an asteroid, so I don't expect to run into these problems. Fortunate that my wife does not listen to any podcasts. I, yeah. guess, so. I see you want a robot, do you now? Well, yeah. <laughs> I, look, I constantly joke that I heard my girlfriend online. It's we get everything else off the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, how about I, you? Had any, say, any standouts? Uh, yeah, lots actually, quite a lot. Yeah, and I've, um, I've got plenty more, but uh... yeah, I mean, obviously, you've got your first one because I I agree with you totally. That that is so just setting the entire phenomenon up in in one episode. If you wanted to get the gist of what the Twilight Zone is, just show someone episode one, season one, and you're done. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I I enjoyed one for the angels because I always enjoy seeing Edwin in anything. That that's just the way that goes. And of course, the angel he's pitching to was the mayor of Amity Island in Jaws. That's who he was. Yeah. Okay. Um, but again, as as a sort of much older man, so you won't. Yeah. You kind of you sort of recognize people. Um, what else do we have? Uh, the sixteen millimeter shrine. That was the first one that I found to be really creepy the the woman that disappears into her own film at the end mm-hmm. yeah so that that one stood out for me a, a lot of these stand out because they were sort of as we said the we are seeing tropes come into existence here and a lot of these are the first instance of that and so for that reason alone i would recommend that anybody watch these you know like you you should see where these things come from as we've said, and and these are the episodes where they come from. Um, I'm just going down the list now. The Lonely was a standout one. Um, mm-hmm. And, the, the, you know, Time Enough at Last is such a famous bit of television. you just got to see that. Whether you like it or not, whether you, whether you think it's good or not, that is such an essential piece of television that has been referenced time and time again and probably will be forever. So... People should see that. They should see where it comes from. Um, now, you've seen the Star Trek episode I Mud, I presume, yes? Absolutely. With the, with the androids? Absolutely, yes. I found myself wondering if uh, Burgess Meredith's wife was in any way the inspiration for Harry Mudd's Stella. I, I thought exactly this. We think so much <laughs> alike, you and I. But yes, I thought exactly the same thing. 
because it was it was the same. She was the same character, really. Yeah, with the, with the pinched face and the and the shrewish voice and yeah, yeah there, there were a lot of. <laughs> I mean, you don't get this so much anymore. Uh, the the last occasion I remember thinking this on television was Everybody Loves Raymond, but where you you stand watching people thinking, how are you ever married? <laughs> if, if if you hate each other this much, if she's that horrible to you, they they kind of push it too far that you can't conceive that there was ever a time when these two people liked each other. And it, it's actually come up for me most recently because I've been watching through Faulty Towers. And that is a great example. Why are Basil and Sybil married? How, <laughs> how did that ever come to be? Because they clearly have such contempt for each other in every aspect of life. You just how has that happened? And and that episode was just another one of those. Why did you marry her? How yeah. did how did that come about? When did she turn into the most evil human being on earth? Uh, but moving on. Um, mm-hmm. uh, where are we? Uh, the I kind of enjoyed when the sky was open. That was the one I was going to say. <laughs> you you are in my brain tonight. This is incredible. <laughs> um. Which was another Richard Matheson script. It was, starring the dude from um, Rod Taylor, from uh, The Time Machine. Yes. Um, and by the way, uh, Richard Matheson, if, if, uh, for, for folks that aren't familiar with the Star Trek episode, you may know him for, for writing a little story called uh, I Am Legend. Uh, just that which time, has been, yeah. Which has been turned into three separate movies uh, with various... Uh, levels of successfully reproducing the book, which is none of them have really done it yet. Um, but uh, there was the 1964 uh, The Last Man on Earth starring Vincent Price. Then there was the god-awful 1970s Omega Man with Charlton Heston. And then the even more god awfuler <laughs> I Am Legend with Will Smith a few years back. Yeah. but it... And unfortunately, he has passed away. Richard, Richard Matheson, not Will Smith. Right. Um, yeah. Now, Will Smith's still going strong. That I'm aware yeah. of. Um, yeah, but that that was a good standout episode for me because I really felt his. Th- this was one of the man not being believed about weird thing episodes, yep. and his stress and upset and trauma about it really hit home with me. Do you know what? It happened to me once. Right, not not this, obviously. <laughs> right, you remember the time I went into space and all the guys I went with disappeared? No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I I've had the nightmare, and and you know, like I said, this is a gen- what I would class as a generic nightmare, not anything that's specific to events in my life, but just the thing where I'm witnessing something upsetting and horrible happening, and no one will believe me that I'm looking at it. And you're doing that whole, just just look, if you would just turn and look, you'll see what I'm seeing, but you won't even look. And that happened to me one night when we were at, at university and uh, staying in hostels on campus. And because the, the buildings were owned by the university, on occasion, very rarely, but on occasion, they would rent out or make available empty rooms to people who were... Uh, visiting the university for uh not really business purposes but they weren't students they were maybe there to visit lecturers or or for whatever reason they were there and we were you know we we had a woman staying in our building and we kind of 
kind of knew but didn't that we hadn't met her but she was there and it was it was odd because it was like there was someone staying in your house and you didn't know they were there Mm -hmm. and one night i saw and i needed to get everybody to look if you look there now you will see this woman that we all think's been staying in our in our house no one would look i was met with a room of (laughs) yeah right pull the other one it's got bells on and I, I lived through it, and it was genuinely upsetting. I know it was about a bit of nothing, but oh, I, I felt it. I, and it was, it was honestly like a nightmare coming true. I just needed to be chased by something and find I was stuck in treacle and couldn't run. And that would have finished me off entirely. Oh, it just keeps longer and longer. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, so that was one. Uh, where are we else? I shot an arrow into the air. I that was one I really enjoyed with the whole um well be, before we get to that one um the the one before it third from the sun yes that uh, I like that one because it it pulled the it pulled the twist at the end that we weren't on earth the whole time and oh, that yes. they were escaping to earth uh and again that was a Richard Matheson script although it is it is awfully cute and and I know there were there were a few instances of this where they were traveling 11 million miles to another star. It's further than that. A lot further. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 11 million miles isn't even outside the orbit of uh, Mars. But yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where else? But anyway, I, and, I, and I also enjoyed seeing uh, uh, Fritz Weaver. Have you ever seen the movie Creep Show? I think no. No, uh, I saw Creepshow okay. 2. Oh, are they, okay. are they the ones that, that Stephen King writes them and they're just a collection of... Yeah, it, it was Stephen King and George Romero. Right. Um, and they were, they were like the old uh, horror comics of the, of the 60s and 70s. Uh, just a, a series of, of short stories, short horror stories that were kind of tongue-in-cheek but horrible at the same time. I, I will watch that, actually. I think it's kicking around on Netflix. The, the um, first one is a much better film than the second. Right. Right. But right. Fritz Weaver, who was the, the, the father in, in third from the sun was the, he, he was in that. I'll give that a watch. I do like me some Stephen King a mm-hmm. lot. God, Friday night. I was just looking through Twitter and you come up against it. There's Stephen King. And he just tweeted, Pennywise is out tonight. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and we're done with a, any thought about going out. Shut up. You evil, evil man. Uh, <laughs> Where were we? Uh, uh, yeah. Shot an arrow into the air. Right, okay. Uh, the Last Flight was the next one that I that stands out as one I really enjoyed. Because uh, that, that played with time. Oh, yeah. The, I, yeah, I like that one a lot. The, the World War I British fighter pilot lands an American Air Force base in France 42 years into the future and then goes back to save his friend who was coming. Oh, brilliant idea. Brilliant mm-hmm. idea. Like that one. It was uh, kind of yesterday's enterprise, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it kind of was. <laughs> and uh, let's see, uh, elegy was elegy. Elegy was okay. Um, I, I I dubbed it "Lost in Space." Um, yeah, it was a bit, wasn't it? Oh wait, which wait a minute? I'm, okay, wait. I'm getting. Oh no, I shot it with. Oh yeah, elegy. Okay, was... I shot an arrow into the air. Was the one where they were they were on Earth? Yeah. Uh, elegy was where everyone's frozen. Oh, 
the mausoleum, right. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Yeah, my, my main note on that was apparently every space mission requires one asshole on board. D- doesn't it? I, I assume that's how it goes. <laughs> I, I assume that how it's, that's how it goes. I, I'd be interested to see NASA's plans on how they dig out the asshole. But much as I'm sure <laughs> that San like, Francisco that public transport, transport requires a, a Jesus shouter on the, on the front of every mode of transport. And if they're, God, you're sitting there on the bus and the dude who's shouting gets off and you think, oh, that's it done. But a new one gets on and you realize <laughs> these guys are employed by the city, aren't they? There's a legal requirement. There must be one crazy Jesus shouter on the front of every bus. That's how it works. Um, now one of my favorite episodes was the monsters that you on Maple street. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, I I have that one really, really enjoyed the concept, Uh, especially the way it ended with the aliens standing back going, look, we don't need to do anything to the humans. Just turn the lights out for 10 minutes and they'll kill each other. And Mm -hmm. you sit there going, yeah, probably. Yeah. (laughs) I I know that's right. So that that was just one of those. I, I like the ones where it's all just paranoia. It's the whole thing you're in people is in people's heads. That that's a, a a great concept to me. Um, and I think is that it. I say that there's another thirty episodes to go. <laughs> well, I I enjoyed uh, people are alike all over. Uh, well, it was it. it uh, I I tend to I seem to like the space ones <laughs> go figure um and it was it that's the one the very very young roddy mcdowell yeah uh the spaceship that crashes on on uh, some planet somewhere uh and i don't know if you recognize susan oliver she was uh vena in the cage and or the menagerie from uh tos which is um, interesting because i th- that was the star trek episode i would most closely compare this to yeah, and she was playing a very similar uh, role, so I wonder if, if one had any influence on the other. I mean, let, let's be honest, this, aside from the whole Star Trek element of it, it's pretty much the same thing to a certain yeah. degree. Um, yeah. yeah, it's funny, My in my notes I have Zoo? Zoo! Because <laughs> I was like, is he, is he in a zoo? What is it? Um, and then also, uh, Vic Perrin, who was one of the guys in the, in the little miniskirt, uh, I recognize he was the Hulkin leader from uh, from Mirror Mirror. There yeah. seems to be a lot of science fiction that suggests one day all the men will wear miniskirts. And yes, I, I'm looking yes. forward to that time. <laughs> Not so much for the winters, but I think for the summers it will provide a, a, some great need, greatly needed ventilation. Mm-hmm. I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> Uh, I liked a nice place to visit. That was one I had seen before, but I always liked the concept of the the uh, the small time hood who who dies and thinks he's gone to heaven, and then it turns out that uh, you know he can't he can't lose at any game he plays, and he can have any woman he wants, he can have anything he wants to eat, he doesn't even have to try, uh, and then he realizes that he's not in heaven at all. Yeah, um, I did feel, and this is just probably says a lot about my personality aside from the wanting to win at gambling thing i was still left with a feeling of so why is that bad yeah 
I, I, I don't know. I, I could go for eating anything I want and sleeping with any woman I want for the rest of eternity and put up with it for quite a while, I think, <laughs> before I got really bored. Uh, it's just one of those things, I think. Yeah, that says a lot about me. But I, I like, again, yeah, I like I, the I concept that, thinking. you know, it's getting what you wish for is a bad thing. Yeah, and that that's you know the that's kind of the uh, the 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 prevailing thing. What was the the early one? I didn't note it because it really didn't say much to me. But the 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 guy who became immortal and then kept just trying to kill himself just for the fuck of it, and uh, then eventually ah, escape clause. Uh, he finds that immortality and invincibility is really boring, and so he kills his wife, hoping that he can he can go to the electric chair but they'd give him life in prison after uh, instead and uh, then he goes ahead and, and lets the devil kill him i I'd, I'd have stayed alive in that one because part of me would think well i'm gonna live forever so while this is going to take a long time it's going to be a fraction of my existence and in 200 years they're going to really wonder why i'm still in prison <laughs> yeah well the dude was kind of an idiot so uh, I, I, it kind of, it kind of made sense to me just because the, he was stupid to begin with. Yeah. And, you know, make a moron immortal, immortal, <laughs> immortal. <laughs> and, uh, you just get a guy who's really dumb for a long time. He really was. <laughs> uh, the, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Were you going to say the after hours or, um, no. The chase. Oh no, no, I hadn't gotten that far yet. Right. Uh, Nightmare as a child. I really liked that one because of how far it went. Uh, that's the one where the the woman, the the creepy little girl, comes to her mm. and is actually, and and how dark that episode got. Where you know we're talking about you know murder and the murderer coming back and trying to kill her, although. You know, she took him out pretty quickly and easily by just kicking him down the stairs. But it was still, it was a really creepy episode. It, it really was. I mean, I, I think that's one of the things this show excels at in the, the short time it has. It can really creep you out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it really does excel at that a, a lot more. It, it's kind of, it's almost sci-fi horror. You know, there's nothing about sci-fi that says it has to be disturbing in any way, but all of these choose to be. Mm-hmm. Um, none of them uh, just show an adventure of some kind or, or anything that isn't about something weird happening. I suppose that's the feature of it being the Twilight Zone. You know, <laughs> I understand. But, uh, yeah, that was a great example of it. The the other one the, the, that I had marked is The Chaser. And not necessarily because it was such a, a, a phenomenal episode, but there was one line in it that I loved. Uh, and that's the one where the guy goes to the, the man in the library to get a, a, a potion to make this girl, the girl fall in love with him. Mm-hmm. And he's having this conversation with the, with the librarian dude and who very much reminded me of, of uh, um, played Hannibal Lecter. Oh, now I have uh, to look up who he actually was. Cause I think he was someone. Um, yeah, he was someone I, I looked him up, but I, I don't remember. John McIntyre. Um, who was. Okay. I can't get a decent picture of him. I think that's who it was. He's listed as Professor A. 
demon. Yeah. I see what they did there. <laughs> a, a demon? A, a okay. demon. Yeah. <laughs> John McIntyre. He was in Turner and Hooch. Uh, that won't be <laughs> where I remember him from. Oh, my internet's <laughs> playing up now. And Wagon Train and the Disney's The Fox and the Hound. The yeah. first film I ever saw at the cinema. Oh, Hopkins, Cl- Anthony Hopkins, that's the name I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Well, this guy was in loads of stuff, different strokes, Cloak yeah. and, the movie Cloak and Dagger, and a Quincy. Ah, okay. Um, but they're, they're having this, this conversation, and the young guy says to him, you're not making any sense at all. And a demon replies, my boy, that's all I make, which is why I'm such a lonely man. And I thought that, that, that line right there bears mentioning. <laughs> that's a good line, actually. That that is a good line. I like that a lot. I miss that. <laughs> but yeah, that that's a good one. And don't make the woman love you unconditionally like that. It gets boring fast. Oh yeah. Yeah. But then again, don't make them nag at you. That also gets boring fast. <laughs> or you could just do the damn washing up. I don't know. I've lost my so you like the after hours? I've lost my place now. Which one was it? Yeah. Yes, I did. That one was very, 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 very creepy. Indeed, that it was. Because I I thought they were going the route of the mannequins are going to get her. Yeah. But that was actually nowhere near as creepy as what it turned out to be. In my opinion. She was a mannequin all the way along. That was weird. That was so weird. So very odd and so very strange. And it, it made me feel uneasy. It really did. Um, and then the last once one. I realized that she, when, well, once I realized that she was a mannequin, and once she realized it and was cool with it, I relaxed. But yeah, the you know, when she kept like finding them in the in the elevator and 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 all that stuff, yeah, that was really mannequins are creepy and freaky yeah, anyway. Yeah, I don't like them now. We've I've seen that. I felt <laughs> indifferent to them before, but now I'm I'm not happy about them. And I suppose the last real standout one was the the last one, a, a world of his own, with yeah. uh, how do I pronounce his name? Kean Wynn. Yeah. Who I know most of all as the bad guy from the Herbie movies. That isn't David oh, Tompkins. Wow, right. Uh, which one was it? Was it Herbie? The one in San Francisco it might just be called Herbie. Uh, well, the first one was the love bug and then it was Herbie rides again, I think, or I don't know. I've, it's been 40 years since I've seen any of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think it was the love bug then. Maybe he's always the guy who was owned the bank in Disney. films. Yeah. That was a big recurring theme in Disney films. Someone owns a bank and he's decided he's going to close on a loan by a certain day, unless you get all the money. Uh, and that he was always the guy. So it was kind of weird to see him in a not being the bad guy kind of role. Yeah. You know, and I, I like the concept. You can just describe a character and it comes to life. And he's been, and the twist of it was happening all along. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. So in theory, the whole series is, is made up, including Rod Serling. <laughs> a nice idea. Very nice yeah. idea. It's it's not far off having the last episode of Star Trek end with Gene Roddenberry waking up in bed and rubbing his eyes and going, well, never believe the dream I've just had. 
<laughs> well, you know, they almost did that with DS9. They no. they came very close to making the last episode. Uh, remember where the the episode where uh, um, Cisco is having these delusions that he's a science fiction writer from the fifties. Yeah, and that Deep Space Nine was all a creation of his mind. They almost made it that be real. <gasps> I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, I'd have, uh, have been violence. Yes, that would have been, <laughs> would have been really bad. But uh, yeah, I I think I'd have been arrested by American police for arson. I think if that would have happened, <laughs> let that be a lesson to everyone. Yeah, I will apparently come and burn your studio down. Not really. <laughs> Please don't call anyone. Uh, so, were there any that you thought were just really could be ignored? And uh, and you wouldn't miss out on anything. Yeah, we we we. I've closed my list. Hang on. Um, I'll say there? that the the second to the last one. Yeah, uh, was, Mighty Casey. Meh. Yeah, that was that was the one I was going to pick out uh, most of all. But then when you're writing this many, yeah, you, you're gonna get a couple of sort of bum episodes, really. Uh, a stop at Willoughby was another yeah, one. Yeah, that was yawn. Yeah, I thought the big tall wish had a lot of promise, but it just sort of collapsed at the end. Yeah, the the boxer. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, I I understand, you know, that the going for the non stereotypical unhappy ending for that story, but it just kind of, I didn't care for it. That uh, not only did he did he shit on his own dreams, he he took the dreams from the little boy too, which kind of pissed me off. Mm. Mm. Um, I think the the purple testament with the the World War Two soldier who could see who would die, who was going to die. That was just slightly uh, creepy. Yeah, but I just thought it was predictable where it was going to go, and uh, yeah. Eh. Although I know which one really kind of bored me was mirror image with the the girl in the bus station i think i really drifted on watching that one yeah that just it just took way too long to go where it was going i don't even remember where it went now you mention it i'll be honest she kept seeing herself and people kept saying that she was doing things that she wasn't and uh yeah i i remember it i i know it was on but i know i drifted while it was playing and i, I don't think i paid enough attention to it at all and that yeah. that says enough about it for me, to be honest. The ones that caught me really caught me. Yeah, and, and what you know, what I didn't expect is that as I was watching it on the big TV, Alison was quite happy for me to have it on, which is can be rare. It, you know, <laughs> in this case, it was unexpected. When it was, can I put another one? Yeah, put another one on. They're quite watchable, and they are. You know that that was the. The the main thing, whether it's a great episode or an okay episode or even a boring episode, it was all pretty good TV. Oh yeah, and yeah. You could even, just... even the less than thrilling ones were were certainly watchable. I, I don't think I did not contemplate turning off any of them. No, me either. And and at no point did I think oh, this is rubbish. You know, I've seen a lot worse on TV over the years than any of these episodes. I, I, I can't really criticize any of it. Um, you know, it has its ups and downs, as we say, but that's that's to be expected. That's just how things are. 
the greatest shows have their ups and downs, and this is no exception, but generally it's all ups. I, I will continue to watch, I think. It's going to be something that just gets stuck on from time to time. Yeah, I, I, I thought that, uh, you know, I was watching it on Amazon, uh, and uh, as an Amazon Prime uh, member, I get the first season free, but then it started carrying right on over into the second season. So I'm, I'm how many seasons were there? It's like 59 through 64. So, wow, six, six seasons. Um, and, you know, we always talk about how, like, the first season of any show takes a while to find its footing, but I don't think this one... Oh yeah, you know, yeah, right out of the gate. Absolutely. Well, I th- I think we sum that up by just saying, look, the first episode is the whole show in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. You know that that is just the you couldn't say that about Star Trek, about <laughs> no. any of them. You know, oh, just watch Encounter at Farpoint. That'll set the scene for the entire series. No, no, it will not. Um, <laughs> and the, yeah, totally different to this. Totally different to this. I'm actually just trying to find it on Netflix to see which of the episodes are on there. I think they're all on there. I think they are. The Twilight Zone. There we go. If I just click that, it'll play. Oh, there's four seasons on Netflix, so maybe they're not all on there. Okay. Yeah, for some reason, season four isn't there. Hmm. It goes one, two, three, five, and that's it. Ah, I think season four is the one that has... uh, Oh, what's it called? Terror at 30,000 feet. Oh, yeah, the the William Shatner one. Yeah, I think that's a season four episode, which is odd because I have seen that and I definitely watched it on Netflix. Oh. So they might, I know they, you know, stuff goes up and gets, oh no, it's a season five, it's Nightmare at 20,000 feet. I'm overestimating how high planes flew in the 50s. Uh, (laughs) You know, so you've got to watch that one as well anyway. People yeah. should be made to watch Nightmare at 20,000 feet. You've got to see William Shatner say that there's something on the wing. But again, <laughs> do you know what? That is just an episode about a man who's not believed about the weird thing you can see. It's the same thing again, and that's season five. So I, I expect they'll all be much of a muchness. My God, there's 36 episodes in season five. Jakey's. <laughs> wow. I wonder when that changed then when episode when series stopped being 36 episodes i wonder if it's the half hour format too that uh maybe so i think it, difference now did i read that it actually went to hour-long episodes for a season and that might be season four hmm which might explain something but i i do remember Pardon me, I do remember reading on the uh, Wikipedia page that it went to hour-long episodes for a bit. Um, now, just before we leave the Twilight Zone behind, there, there, we should mention, you know, there have been other attempts to bring this show back. People clearly enjoy it and like it. Um, there was a, a 1985 to 1989 revival. Uh and by the way, you're right. Season four was uh, one-hour episodes. Right. I bet that has something to do with its lack of appearance on Netflix then. So they made a few series in, in the late 90s. Then a 1994 project, a, a one-series in 2002. Narration provided by Forrest Whitaker. Um, mm-hmm. I remember 
watching some of that. Yeah, and then there's still talk now. Apparently, Brian Singer's interested. Now, it actually says, is developing and executively producing a third revival television series for CBS. So maybe we will actually get to see more Twilight Zone. It also says here that, uh, of all people, Leonardo DiCaprio loves this show. It's his favorite TV show, and he's trying to get a movie made. Well, there was the uh, 1983 movie, which was produced by Steven Spielberg, which is notable primarily because it's the it's the film that killed Vic Morrow. Uh, it was a helicopter helicopter accident, and uh, Vic Morrow and one other actor were killed in the in the accident. All right, I'm not familiar with him. I'm. Just looking um, him up now, I've got, I've got his Wikipedia here. See what I might recognize him from. Um, lots of stuff actually. Yeah, he was he was another one of those the uh, that guy from uh, shows in the in the seventies and sixties. Yeah, yeah, I'm re- I, I recognize just so many shows that he was in at some point. Just looking quickly over his his filmography. Um, so I could I don't know I could see a film being made about this. Or sorry, of it. Um, mm-hmm. I have reservations about that. In actual fact, because, well, as we, as I said, this is a show that works great in multiple thirty-minute blocks. And if you do a movie, surely you just have to pick one of the thirty-minute blocks and stretch it out to a movie, and that kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. Well, what they did with the uh, the the previous movie attempt was they just had I think four short sections for the film. All right, yeah. I don't I don't even remember if there was a, a any attempt to string them together at all. Right, um, yeah, that would be that. I think that's the way to do it. I I think that is the best way to do it because otherwise you're just making a science fiction film that's based on an episode of The Twilight Zone, aren't you? Yeah, really, yeah. which is a different thing altogether. So I, I don't know. I which, hope they pull it off. Well, you know, I, I kind of look at it the same way as I've come to see Star Trek over the years is that I, I really think this is something that works best in television where you can have 13, 14, 20, 30, whatever short episodes spread out over the course of six months um, where you have time to digest each one. Hmm. You know, and and let the ideas percolate through your mind before you 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 know take on the next one the next week. Uh, I think the half hour format is great. I don't you know, I don't know that there are any half hour dramas anymore. Um, you know, there's plenty of half hour sitcoms, but uh, can't think. You know, of it any. would it would be a return to form. It really but, would. Uh, yeah, I, I say give it a go. Someone give it a go if you're listening. You there who can make TV shows listening to me. <laughs> make make the Twilight Zone exactly how it was, but new. That's that's the best way to put it. Make it like it was, yeah. but new. Yeah. I mean, um, it's been long enough, so, you know. It has. And, and the fact <laughs> that the people it, that grew up with it are gone, so. Yeah, right. And the, the, well, and the fact that it is still a recognizable thing. You know, the, the, I, I'm being reminded by, by this Wikipedia article now. The Twilight Zone Tower of Terror at Disney World. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that ride was the new ride at what was then MGM Studios when the, the year that my family went to Disney World. 
And having never seen an episode, we knew what that was. As kids, yeah. we knew what that was. We knew the Twilight Zone. We knew the music. We knew what it was all about, even having never seen it. Um, and I, I think that just that stands up to the <laughs> the Shakespearean <laughs> quality of the concept of this show. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, these ideas permeate throughout everything else you know. Just going through over that episode uh, list from season one, I, I tried not to do it, but you could, like, each one you could pull out and go, oh, and that's like this episode of Star Trek, or, oh, that's like mm. this film. And you realize this is where they all came from. So I, I recommend the show a lot to everybody who has even the most passing interest in, in science fiction. This is important stuff. This is stuff you should see. I, I kind of feel like I hope in a hundred years kids watch this at school. Yes. Yes. You know, it, it's that level of, of important. It really is. And yeah, it can be kitsch. Yeah, it can be low budget. But it was made in 1959. You have to allow for that. And you have to see through it and go for, look for what they were trying to do. But that, that, that's the same advice I would give anyone watching uh, original series Star Trek as well. Forget yeah. the wonky sets and the, you know, the special effects. You have to go for the story and accept what they could do at the time with the limitations they had. And accept that it's not going to look like Star Wars or anything recent. It looks like it was made in the 60s because it was. So, yeah. you know, take that into account and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, this is a this is a show that is not going to blow you away with, you know, oh, I want to live in that universe. It's going to take your brain and it's going to twist it and it's going to squeeze it and it's going to expand it and scare it. <laughs> and, you know, it, it I, I can't agree with you more. I, you know, I'm sure that over the course of this podcast or, or over the course of this show, uh, if you want to cut that out, <laughs> um you know, over the course of, of this show, we will encounter TV series that we will uh, recommend that you run screaming from. But uh, this is not one of them. This is this is a show that I I don't think there's a person out there that couldn't benefit from watching a season or two of of the Twilight Zone. Exactly. Yeah, I think we're in total agreement on this one. Then, I yeah, that's a good place to start. I just, I, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so if, so, you know, if someone wanted to listen to, I don't know, simply everything simply syndicated has ever done, what would they do about that? There are lots of ways one can do that, actually. Um, if you visit simply syndicated.com slash everything, you can sign up for our subscription service, simply everything, which is everything we've recorded for simply syndicated for the last nearly a decade which is quite a lot of stuff i've never added it up in terms of number of hours but it's hundreds and hundreds of hours worth of stuff and you know all of it if you like this show you'll like everything else we've ever done i think <laughs> it is a fairly you know what assumption. those three words nearly a decade are just it, it blows my mind terrifying isn't it <laughs> terrifying what i can also say this won't be a premature announcement because we're sort of recording in the past sort of thing, but it, it's true as I say this. If you're based in the US as well, 
and this, so I'm speaking only to uh, Americans here living in America. If you go to our SoundCloud pages on soundcloud.com, there's links on our website on Simply Syndicated. If you go to the pages, you'll be able to find all of the Simply Everything content on SoundCloud. Wow. How's that? It's That's all, great. It's all there. Or hopefully a lot of it will be by the time you hear me say this. There's a lot, <laughs> and I've got to sit and upload it episode by episode. So don't be surprised if it's not all there yet. But that's it's not that it won't be. That's just a question of I've got to sit and upload and label and do the art for every single damn episode, which will be my <laughs> life for the next two weeks, basically. Uh, but yeah, it's all on there. It's ad-supported, as opposed to paying for a subscription. But it's it's the same stuff. You just have to listen to ads. So you pay with your soul instead of money. <laughs> that, that's which is a very Twilight Zone thing to do. It, it is. So you know, take your choice there. You can either pay with money or with part of your your life. That's so dark, but it's so true. <laughs> well, that kind of applies to almost everything in life, though. You, you, you got to pay for it in some. Yeah, we just didn't have the sole payment option before, but now we do. <laughs> uh, and because it sounds like, yeah, it's only for U.S. listeners at the moment. Uh, there is something else coming for everybody else, but that's just one thing. So you can listen on our pages or any way SoundCloud allows you to listen to it. That's all cool. There's lots of play buttons all over that website. And you can get their app. Hey, we have an app as well. It's in the App Store. A good place to buy apps. Uh, <laughs> it's called Simply Syndicated. In fact, there's a link at the top of the website. So you'll find that. Android version coming one day. Would. Probably when I learn how to Maybe. make an app. I would like to... I, I'm not... Dis, I've never said no to an Android version. It's always been, so I've got to make it? Okay. So when I learn how to make an app and that, there will be one. Kind of working on it. I've got the phone to do it with anyway. That's the best I can do right now. Use SoundCloud. <laughs> yeah. So that's... It's it, easier. Yeah. We'll, we'll have an email address for this show. If people want to email us, do you know what? I'll just make, should we make it just Ray Guns at Simply Syndicated because sure. it's a long name to type in on an email address. So, yeah, yeah. Um, if you check out our page on simplysyndicated.com, there will be a link, or you could just use the contact form on there and we'll get it. And you know, I'm looking forward to hearing from listeners about their experiences from stuff like this. Go and watch The Twilight Zone, like we said, it's all on Netflix and Amazon. So, uh, you know, you can get access to it pretty easily without having to spend a fortune or pirate it or anything like that. And just sit and work your way through it. And it's honestly just, it's quite a joy to do with this show. You just sit, spung another one on. And and they're like 24 minutes long, so it's not even a huge time commitment for each episode. Yeah. And the the best thing with that is as well, if you don't like one, it doesn't matter. Just go to the next one because it's totally different. Yeah, there's no continuity to worry about. You could start at any point and, and end at any point. Yeah, you have, that never occurs to me. You don't even have to watch them in order. Nope. You'll lose nothing. So, but start at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> That's just from my All right, own well, thank you, mind. Rich. You're very welcome. For, uh, thank you. a very fun show. And folks, thank you for listening. And we will see you next time when we take on another... Uh, 
We will. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Damn it. I thought I was going to do it in one take. Um, and we will see you next time when we take on yet another series of television shows from the 60s. So uh, take care and bye-bye. Bye-bye.